Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. I'm talking today with Seth Rodney, and today we're going to be discussing uh, corporate responsibility and how we make sense of it in the world that we currently occupy uh, in relation to government responsibility and in relation to uh, individual responsibility. Um, Seth, how are you? Not bad. I'm I'm operating on about four hours of sleep, but for someone who's doing that, I'm pretty hale and hearty. <laughs> you seem very healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say it was good living, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not. Um, so we wanted to start off talking about. Uh, I mean, the way you you way you you mentioned it to me in an email. Was what the, or the question you posed to me was what does it mean when mega corporations are the lodestones for ethical behavior in our society, and I, because I'm such a persnickety person, wanted to use the word watchdogs instead. But I think they 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 both work. Um, I think I, I wanted to say watchdogs because I wanted I had the sense of someone sort of keeping us honest, and mm-hmm. in some ways. Unilever threatening to pull its advertising, which is amounts to about two point four billion. Which we should we should contextualize because I didn't do a very good job on the lead into that. I mean, the, no. the specifics of the the issue are that Unilever mm-hmm. this week or late last week. Uh, I guess the story leaked over the weekend. It was part of comments that were going to be um, released at some ad big ad conference or something like that. And uh, it was essentially Unilever, which is a massive corporation, multi-multi-billion dollars, spends like two or three billion dollars a year in advertising, 25% of which is um, uh, online advertising. Let me, let me, sorry, Travis, let me just interrupt you to correct you on that. Please. It, yeah. it actually spends about $9.8 billion, and I'm not sure if it's dollars or pounds because I read this story in several news outlets. Actually... A quarter of that budget, which is about two point four billion, so is that's spent solely on digital advertising. That's what I must have been mixing up. Thank you for the correction. No um, worries, no worries. Uh, uh, and uh, essentially said that Facebook and Google need to clean up, clean up their act, and do a better job of regulating and monitoring their digital platforms, or Unilever was going to pull its ad dollars. Right, and uh, they and they specifically wanted them to limit propaganda. Hate speech and "quote unquote" disturbing content. That's right, and uh, and they were talking about uh, you know the the damage it does to democracy and to civil culture. And uh, I you know I have to say when I when I first saw the story and, and proposed it to you as a topic of conversation, I was a little bit floored because when I think of moral compasses or watchdogs or lodestones or whatever you know, whatever fill in the blank you want to use to indicate someone that has a consistent moral orientation, advertising companies and mega corporations do not jump to mind. <laughs> except, except that there's this thing that happened, right? There's this shift that's happened in our culture. And we saw it come, we saw, I mean, this is, this is not the first time we've seen this kind of phenomenon occur, particularly in the, in the last year, when Agent Orange, who is our acting president, had constituted an American Manufacturing Council and a 
strategy and policy forum. And he had to dissolve them because after he made those remarks post the debacle in Charlottesville, where white supremacists marched and protesters gathered and a woman was killed by one of those supremacists driving their car, who drove his car into uh, a crowd of um, pedestrians. Merck and Company's Kenneth Frazier was, I think, the first person, um, actually, from my sources, he was the first person to resign from the Manufacturing Council. And then there were essentially reverberations, right? Mm-hmm. So the BlackRock Incorporated CEO, Larry Fink, I think in the next day or two, indicated to the person, I think his name is Stephen Schwartzman, um, who was heading up the strategy and policy forum, indicated to him that he would resign. So they started to fall like dominoes. And of course, to save face, right. um, Mr. Trump dissolved the councils. So there was a moment where corporations actually did take the ethical lead. They actually did act as a kind of moral con- check, really. Now, I want to say conscious, but no, it's a check on the kind of amoral, unprincipled, rapacious character of the current government. Uh, and, and so we, we've seen this begin to happen. And it's, I think it's strange. I think that for people our age, it's odd to actually have corporations behaving ethically. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that I, you know, one of the, when I was sort of coming to ethical awareness and, and a little bit more sophisticated in my thinking about the world when I was uh, quite a bit younger, my early 20s, late teens, the uh, story that always stuck with me in relation to corporations was the Bhopal chemical um, yeah. disaster uh, in which some subsidiary that's now gone, I think Dow or owns them now, um, but essentially there was a leak of toxic uh Fumes in Bhopal, India, yeah, and it killed thousands of people, thousands, and they sued, the corporation sued the causes of action, uh, the people that brought causes of action against them in order to protect their interests. Um, and so, uh, you know, that it, not that, not that this is an indication of what all corporations do or anything remotely like that. Not that there aren't corporations that are still bad actors. And, uh, but that, that sort of shaped my early thinking about the amorality of corporations. Right. Um, and, you know, corporations were deeply involved in the slave trade. Uh, I mean, they just... It goes on and just, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah. there's a long history there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, when I saw this, as you said, it's not the first instance of uh, corporations behaving ethically. It's, it's. I mean, absolutely not. The examples you brought up are valid. I'm sure there are countless others that we're unaware of. Um, and I... I think there's something fundamentally different about a corporation taking a particular kind of action than like an ethical individual. Like, okay, I'm kind of drawing a line to the sand. I'm not going to do this. I mean, this is a company, you know, Unilever sort of staking its strategic future on a principle. Uh, And, you know, you had brought up kind of the 
the ethical vacuum at the top of the country, right. Um, you know, in, in the current administration, which, you know, we I, I make a pretty studied effort at avoiding uh, direct uh, engagement with the current administration, mostly because I don't find it to be there are just other outlets doing it, um, right. you know, more more vociferously and right. better informed than I'm going to do it. Right. So. Uh, but that being said, you know, we're kind of adventuring into territory where I, where I would feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it, and you brought it up. And I do think that the absence of coherent moral leadership or what at least a large section of the country would recognize as moral leadership, the fact that it is um, missing, absent, you know, persona non grata, uh, in the White House, um, it just they're not interested in in taking principled ethical positions. It doesn't seem to be. I mean, this latest uh, you know issue with Porter and you know uh, hitting his wife or his two wives or whatever. Um, the thing that it, it, in spite of all of that, right? So I mean, it's a laundry list of of awful things that we could talk about. Right. The action by Unilever actually made me somewhat optimistic. Right. about about um, the contemporary world uh, yeah. and the West and America yeah. and and kind of you know the the liberal democratic project uh, yeah. and uh, you know and you and I had a little bit of a back and forth around that but I, I mean I don't know just why don't you jump in there well I don't know that I felt hopeful I do think that we should talk about what we think this means in terms of the way the world is changing. I've been warned, yeah, I think the, the right word is warned, by a friend that sometimes our conversations can get too theoretical, so I want to make sure that I kind of keep this grounded in real-world experience. Part of what I think is happening, and this, is, this comes from what I've read in the last few years, working on the PhD and working from, on what's happening in the museum from a kind of sociological angle. Right. I do think that there, you can make the case that there is a, a shift in the kind of centers, no, not the centers of power, that's what I wanted to say, but no, in the ways, in the fundamental institutions by which we understand who we are. I think... And Colin Campbell makes this argument in the book, The Romantic Ethic, and the, I think it's the birth of modern consumerism. Mm -hmm. He argues that at one point the church was the main institution that told us who we are, that gave us meaning to our lives, and that that began to shift towards national governments back in, say, 19th century, 20th century. Um, mm. And that actually, that, uh, I, 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 that makes sense to me. And people like the historical sociologist Zygmunt Bauman, who's now passed away, I think has argued, if I read him correctly, that he has argued that... You're start, talking li li liquid modernity, that guy? Yes, precisely. Yeah, okay. um, and the book that he wrote that was really particularly important to me was in Legislators and Interpreters, talking mm. about cultural shifts that are tied to economic shifts. But his argument, I think, if I read him correctly again, is that we're moving away from that paradigm of 
of social organization where the government essentially kind of tells us where we belong, right? Or has some has has a great deal to say about where we sort of place ourselves in society. Institutions like the church are also fading in their power. And what's what's coming up, what's uh, what's taking their place is the individual. And the individual, particularly as 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 understood as a kind of consumer, as a kind as, as endowed with the power to, to mm. make choices. So mm. let's talk about real world experiences, right? So what this looks like. <laughs> yeah, to, I was gonna say, was that was that our stab at not being theoretical? Right, right, right. Because right. uh, that was yeah, that was, that was super eggheaded. Um, what that means is, I think when people start to define themselves, and this happened like. This probably happened when we were both living in Long Beach, mm -hmm. um, which is back, what, more than 10 years ago. I remember someone coming on the news and describing herself to someone who was asking her a question about, I don't, I don't remember what it was, but it was one of those people on the street kind of interviews, mm -hmm. you know, 30 seconds, quick question, in and out. Right. And who was George said, Washington, that kind of thing. Right. And, and her response was, you know, hey, you know. I'm a consumer, so I blah, 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 blah. This is what she identified as. She didn't identify as a Christian. She didn't identify as an American. She identified as a consumer. So I, uh, please, you can finish your thought. So I, all that means is that what's happening, I think, in the big picture, in a sort of bird's eye view, is that we are moving towards a culture that is in which we understand each other as consumers of one sort or another. And if that is true, and it, and it seems to be borne out by what corporations are doing, because they're interested in keeping consumers. They're interested in keeping relationships with consumers. They're interested... I mean, Unilever is not doing this because they are altruistic. They're doing we this... Don't, so we don't know what their motivation... No, 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 that's right. No, that's right. I am assuming this, right? Based on... Uh, well, a I mean, lot... I wouldn't wager any money on altruism, right. but, but I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't want to go too far with, you know, sort of, uh, you know, a bunch of actuaries in a room going, okay, if mo democracy comes unraveled, we're going to lose, you know, $20 a share or something no, no, like that. No, like but I, I don't, no, I don't think that happens. But what I th do think happens is they recognize that people need to people, consumers need to have faith in them. If they have if they have their products on platforms that are not not fundamentally not believable, that reflects on them. They want to have I mean, this is the marketing revolution, right? That you like you learn that you're not just selling people things, you need to now sell people a relationship. You need to hold their hands. So I you know, I I mean I know you know this, but I I don't, I mean, the Bauman argument, which I appreciate you uh, specifying, is kind of part and parcel of a larger argument around sort of what happened to the world post-enlightenment, you know, sort of post what is sometimes called the de-enchantment of the world, right? Mm -hmm. So Weber, mm -hmm. Max Weber talks about this, like, well, now we know that, uh, you know, the, the world is not suffused with divine energy and kings and queens aren't, you know... Human beings. Uh, uh, yeah, they're not aglow with right. divine powers and right. stuff. Right. I don't buy it. I don't buy that argument. I don't, I just, I, I have too much faith in people 
Like, you t- you, you're telling me that you think the chambermaid of Queen Elizabeth thought that she was, like, divinely shitting on the pot? Like, I don't think so. I think... No, no. I think... I, so, so here's the thing. I, th- I, I think that um, the awareness of oneself as having moral agency or economic agency... Uh, national agency, whatever you want to, just having agency. I think that that's something that has accelerated and spread under, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution and people have more leisure and they have more time to curate themselves and think about themselves and and sort of cultivate who they are. Yes. But not a one of them is an individual. I mean, there are so few, I mean... the number of individuals in the world is so vanishingly small that you could probably hold them in a thimble. It is so uh, contrary to our nature to be individuals. Okay, so when you say individual, what you mean is that there's no one really in the world that like gets counted as an individual by a corporation or a church or by anybody else, or any other institution or any other really person. Like we're all kind of constituted within families, within friendships, yes. within organizations, within yes. I, I do. I mean, I, w- I was I was being slightly hyperbolic. Hyperbolic. I do believe that there are people that move through their lives as individuals for significant portions of the time. I think that just about everyone has moments of individuality, you know, sort of those, you know, kind of moments of poetic inspiration when they, and I don't mean to attach that to a rhetorical scheme, but just, you know, maybe they figure out like, how to work on the line differently or how to cast a mold differently or, or like or, a, or, a new route to work or something right. like or, that. Or there are those people who I read about who are because of some, I don't know, some fundamental inherent need to be alone, go, literally go off, find a cave by themselves and live mm-hmm. off the grid and away mm-hmm. from human contact mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. No, no, there are those people. But I think then, okay, so where we are now in the conversation is we're, we're, we're heading towards ideology, right? We're heading towards the, the beliefs that bind us together because clearly a lot of us do are part, are members of a community. And I think that one of the ideologies that binds us, that brings us together is this notion that there's a corporation? No, not even a corporation. Let's not call it that. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, con, there's a concern. There's some, there's some body, some entity out there that cares about what happens to us. I think maybe, and I'm just making up this argument as I go along, frankly, because it just it kind of <laughs> as opposed that, to my as opposed to my perfectly prepared one. Then. <laughs> right. Well, and now that I'm saying it, it sounds like it sounds right because we have a tendency to to outsource um, responsibility for ourselves, right? Like, so we outsource Mm -hmm. it to God, we outsource it to the country, we outsource it to the husband or the wife. Um, We might just be outsourcing our responsibility for having a kind of moral compass to corporations now because we don't have to do that. I mean, in the case of Unilever and in the case of the... The forum that the forums that um, were convened in the White House, yeah, people don't pe- regular you know people people in the street don't have much to do with that. Mm-hmm. But 
the ways that we accept that as sort of normal is telling, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, um, you know, as far as ascribing, you know, I was kind of pushing back against ascribing too much agency, uh, identifying like sort of the, the 21st century being the age of the, individ- in the individual. Mm. I think all you need to do is look at uh, the blue lives matter or me too or black lives matter you know just mm. fill in the blank we mm. we are we are rapidly pursuing group identities right mm. now the, and under the pretense of that expressing individuality mm. um which i'm fine with i'm not i'm i'm not i don't mean to take a broadside against that. I, I happen to think that our our cooperative natures is one of the best things about human beings. Um, it's also potentially dangerous in, in a lot of historical circumstances, but in general, you know, I think it serves us pretty well. Um, and so, you know, it was pushing back against that idea of the individual, but I would also want to further push back against the idea of consumerism somehow being a more retrograde version of a more retrograde version of having some kind of social identity. Hmm. Uh, like, what do you mean some, by, what do you mean by retrograde? Meaning that like, you know, so it, if you were to scroll in an average Facebook feed right now, like if you know, just grab your Facebook feed and scroll through, I bet you would have no trouble finding some video of people ranting against people, uh, loving their iPhones too much or loving their cars too much or loving their clothes too much or blah, 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 blah. As if, as if the social identities, the social clothes that we adorned ourselves with 200 years ago were somehow more authentic, uh, more sort of honest. I just, I don't buy any of it. I don't buy any of it. I I don't, I, I don't think that people in the world today are any more venal or, lost than people were 300 years ago. You know, and I say this with love, you are one skeptical motherfucker. Like you <laughs> you really don't buy much. So 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 okay, so where does this leave us? I think we and where I am right now is I feel that there there has to be some reason that more so than we've known in our lifetime corporations are taking a kind of lead in the sort of moral vacuum, right, that's that's been generated by the current governmental administration. Corporations seem to be taking the lead in etching out a kind of common moral um, uh, uh, set, of, uh, uh, set of concerns for the rest of us. And and I want to add this anecdote because this occurred to me when uh, when you sent me the outline for this talk. I, I flashed back on this moment when I was watching something on YouTube and Steve mm-hmm. Harvey was talking about dealing with atheists. And he said mm-hmm. that whenever atheists approach him, he just walks away. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because he said, he's like, he's like, well... Uh, I don't even want to talk to you. Like, how, what's the point of talking to you? Because you have no moral compass. And the way he said it, he said it like he'd heard it in a sermon on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really mm-hmm. understood, understand what moral compass means. 
Mm-hmm. But he took it to heart, and it sounded really good to him, and it sounded like the kind of sword that he could like flail about and like cut people's heads off with. Right, so, right. So I want to say, well, why do you think corporations have a moral compass? I mean, like, I'm really asking, like, why? Why would they? You're asking. You're asking yes, me that yes, question. Yes, okay. So, you. so, uh, so I, I would say I would want to sort of have a parenthetical note that I at least I don't have enough knowledge of the history of corporate governance in the United States to say whether they're taking more of a lead on moral issues than they ever have. Right. Uh, Neither do I. I'm, I'm going to guess that it's been pretty messy all along and mm-hmm. that, you know, Unilever is probably an outlier <laughs> today mm-hmm. um, and would have been an outlier in 1945 or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, here's another example. Was it is it is it Coke or Pepsi that was like super progressive in Atlanta with the black community uh, in the 19, no 1930s and 40s? I have no yeah, idea. So, yeah, yeah. So they like they got involved in like advertising and like and and started in uh, like African American campaigns to like sell their products and stuff like that. I mean, of course, there is a crass sort of straight up uh, self a, a way to read that is self interest, mm-hmm. which, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I'm all for people pursuing self interest though mm-hmm. over puritanism. I'm I'm all like you know I, I you know the thing that people disdain about mm-hmm. politicians is the thing that I think is the best thing about politics mm-hmm. which is that they're willing to horse trade like mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want to deal with the puritan mm-hmm. right I I want to deal with someone that has some skin in the game you know that that doesn't want to lose their homestead that doesn't want to lose whatever their vested interest in someone that's willing to like burn it all down I don't think you and I can be friends. <laughs> like I, I and and I feel like especially us like as I was educated on um, you know in sort of tradi- in traditional liberal ways, which mm-hmm. still very much uh, are a part of who I am, mm-hmm. and I feel like they don't get applied consistently enough in a lot of instances. I feel like we're a little um, woolly-headed when it comes to things like that. Mm. Um, I, I think that so the idea that that uh, that cor- that someone in a, or that a corporation would behave ethically is probably just as likely as as the likelihood that an individual is going to behave ethically, which Ooh. is to say. Probably not all that likely right. if it involves like real jeopardy, right? right? Or or, I mean, or it involves real reward, right? Yeah, because I mean, right, all, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is Milgram's experiment, right? I mean, right. we all we 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 like to you know, agree, agreeability is something that doesn't serve us well in certain circumstances. And like I said, I think in general it serves us pretty well. But um, you know, you put you put certain institutional forces in play and it can become pretty, can become pretty horrifying. So I don't necessarily buy anymore, though I once wholeheartedly did, that corporations are like the nexus of evil in, in the world. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could, I, I see the, the validity of your argument. I, I want to think now. I'm thinking back to the '80s and thinking about like all the protests that I've, I've been witness to: protests of BP, protests of Exxon, protests mm-hmm. of, of nuclear facilities, you know, Three Mile Island, um, um, and and I've read some really egregious stories. I mean, 
You have to. I mean, what was sure. it? The whole um, Aaron Brockovich story that was made yeah. into a, yeah. a film. I mean, corporations clearly have a track oh, record well, of, of, yep. of, of being motivated by profit and and, yep. and no but i'm with you but i'm with you on this i'm with yeah, you ralph on... nader well i was going to agree with you like ralph mm-hmm. nader's like they knew those cars were like literally cutting people's heads off and they didn't give a shit no they didn't give no, a no, shit. So, no there's a lot of counter examples <laughs> no, no, right 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 no they're like i mean they're, they're and this is the thing right like to sort of directly uh uh contradict you there are some companies where there are Rooms full of actuarial personnel. Yeah, that's true. Account to like, let how much does it cost to recall this versus like how many people die, and how many people sue us, and Mm -hmm. what it eventually costs us in like customer whatever confidence. Mm -hmm. Right. What I where where do I want to take this? I want to. Well, can I can I actually I actually think that's a really useful observation, and Mm. and I do not. I have no apologetics for the horror of that. None. I mean, I find that like mm-hmm. it's it's the very definition of monstrousness. Like yeah. it's just it's an inconceivable role for someone to have. But but don't we live in a world of that kind of madness? Like isn't isn't that always the calculation when you head out the door in a planet of 7 billion people like so we know predictably how many people are going approximately how many people are going to die from on, like, on the highway on yes, the highway that's, driving uh, the that car. was it was exactly the right. example i was going to use yes exactly um, we know and, we know and yet you, you know do it. yeah and so i it's not i I'm not I'm not Pollyannish. I'm not, uh, you know, as much as I appreciate, you know, like Bill Gates and his advocacy and and even Steven Pinker, even though I don't agree with him a lot of the time. Like, I certainly appreciate their optimism. Um, That's not what I mean, though. I, I don't I mean that we live that that our world is a barely structured madness. Right. Barely like just. Fingernails, like barely holding on to the edge. We didn't evolve to live in a world like this. Like we, you know, we we evolved to like love rocks and shit like that. And like remember exactly where that one river was at, you know, that we were born next to. Uh, You know, the the trees and the streets and the, the constant strange faces. But but we always we want to project that complication away from ourselves always, right? Mm. It's corporations, it's the liberal left, Mm. it's this, it's that, that madness that we all feel, Mm. that anxiety we Mm. all feel and are aware of. Mm. We are part and parcel of it. It's not the corporations. I mean, that it is someone's job to do that fucked up, awful calculation Mm -hmm. does not make that their responsibility that our world is structured in that way no that's right right but so i want to get back to the steve harvey nonsense about (laughs) (laughs) about you know atheists having no moral compass i want to say that who we both agree is not funny right yeah 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 okay good yeah okay i just want to make sure we're on the same page it's not no no he's (laughs) off and and the and those suits jesus christ like why does you why do you need to have six buttons on your suit? Like that makes no sense to me. 
it just it looks ridiculous. And I had this conversation with someone one time when I was working at Hugo Boss. I was like, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah models for like, you know, um, you know, black men and so on and so forth. And and I mentioned Steve Harvey and he's like, oh, <laughs> so, so, so there is that. Um, I think that one of the problems with what he said is that one, it's, it makes a lot of sense to people that atheists wouldn't have a moral compass, but I think in some ways atheists are the people who would most, most have a sense of moral compass because they realize that they're not going to outsource that to some God mm -hmm. or some higher power. We're going to realize that if it's going to happen at all, it's going to happen through them and mm -hmm. through people who are complicit with them in a group to do mm -hmm. that, to act principally mm -hmm. in a principled fashion. And this is one of the things that I keep thinking about. I think I probably think about this every day. I think about how to be a principled person, mm. not because I think I'm going to win, not because I think it's going to make me money, not because I think that... Yeah, it's definitely that, not going to make you money. Just no, to be clear. No, definitely not. <laughs> not that I think that, 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 that it's going to make me particularly special either. I think I do it because I just want the world to be that way. I just yeah. do. I really want to, to create institutions and structures by which we can actually learn to trust each other. And I know that it's not going to happen with someone like Steve Harvey. I just, I just right. know it because he's going to give me the rhetoric of being a good Christian and going to church on Sunday. But when it comes down to it, he ultimately has no faith in our human capacity to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, I, I, t I part company with people like that in, in the same, same way that, uh, that you just uh, described. Yeah, I just, I, I don't, uh, I don't have a lot of space for that worldview. Not to say that I couldn't have a reasonable conversation with someone like that or a disagreement, but uh, I just, I don't fundamentally, I don't, I don't buy that. Um, you know, the, the idea. I mean, you know, you're basically what you're talking about is character. Right. I mean, so you say it like and and I know people of character, right? Not everyone I know has character, but the you know, that that desiring consonance between your internal feeling about the world and what happens in the world mm. is one of the best things about mm. a principled human being. Yeah. Right. I mean, that I mean, that that pursuit that always fails. Right. And, and mm. never actually. um uh, or at least not for very long, mm. uh, maintains any kind of coherence, right? Our internal worlds and the external world. Um, it doesn't go on for very long. But the fact that you would pursue that and the fact that it would discomfort you, that it would not, that that is not how the world would be, mm. makes you a better fucking human being, right? That, and, and that's a human thing. That's not a God thing or a Buddha thing or right. a, a Chuan Tzu thing. Like it's right. that's just a human capacity. Um, so you, you've you've persuaded me, right? So I've, now now I'm now I'm over here advocating for I'm I'm railing against uh, religious institutions. And, well, well, and, yeah. and, and and championing the individual. So. Yeah, but you've also you've also convinced me that it doesn't make sense to sort of just out the gate demonize corporations for being completely. 
shaped by the profit motive. I mean, it's possible, just like, I mean, given where we've come to now, to imagine that there is someone in a corporation at the head or littered throughout its structure. There are people who think, well, the world I want to wake up to tomorrow is the, is the kind of world where people mm -hmm. are actually accountable for their actions. Mm -hmm. So they actually make moves. In fact, I want to say, I want to, I want to turn this a little bit, turn the dial a little bit towards, more towards the conversation we have around politics. Jennifer Rubin, Jennifer Rubin in um, the Washington Post is someone I've been reading okay. for the past couple of years, and she has a, uh, an opinion page um i should no, it's not page it's a it's a it's a column mm -hmm. called the right term which she's been doing mm. for, for a while mm -hmm. and she's an intelligent woman clearly she is one of the very very few people who i've been reading like i like i i really have a by contrast i should say i have a real problem with david brooks Rest from the New York Times. I have hmm. We've talked about an enormous problem with George Will, who I don't think writes for the Washington Post anymore, but that sort of vaguely smarmy, um, condescending, patrician attitude. I have to say, if, if I can say one thing in defense of George Will for a moment, he, uh, he brought Stephen Colbert to a stone-cold standstill on the Colbert Report, which I have... I mean, I watched the show a lot, and mm -hmm. I saw him interview some, I mean, some pretty sharp people, Samuel mm -hmm. Jackson, a bunch mm -hmm. of other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, George Will literally left him without anything to say. Wow. Um, he, he was that composed and that precise, uh, and you have to respect, I, I feel like you have to respect anyone that knows their spot of ground that well. Yeah, that yeah. they can, uh, and, and they I do, can... and I do appreciate it because, to be honest, that's probably the kind of person I would be on a televised show. Like I would right. be really mm -hmm. composed and careful and exact, um, but I just don't like his sort of petition. and humble, right? And right. humble. I try to, I, well, <laughs> you know, we aim for shit whether we get there or not. Um, uh, but. The thing about George Will is that he's very comfortable in his white supremacy, ultimately. Like, he just he just is. Um, David Brooks drives me nuts because his sort of religiosity always gets in the way of, actually, of him actually seeing what's in front of him. Mm. But Jennifer Rubin has been so clear and so moral in her read of everything that's happened in the past year politically through this particular White House, this, this particular mm -hmm. administration, that I've kind of, you know, tentatively become a fan of my, Because mm. I honestly feel like if there were a, a, a sort of worldwide revolution tomorrow, mm -hmm. right, and I was looking around, in the chaos, you know, the bombs mm. going off, people running, trying to mm. gather food, trying to get to a safe place, in the chaos, I, and, I, and I do this, this kind of heuristic, uh, fantasy, I run through this fantasy in my head every now and again. Who would I want to hold hands with? Who would I trust? Mm -hmm. And I feel like she's moving into that column of the people I would trust in an emergency because I mm. know that she actually does value this thing of being a human being who's accountable to other human beings. Like there's a, there's a roll call, right? Of people in the, in the, in the, pop, in popular culture, in the news, 
in people who work in media like I do, who mm-hmm. I think Jesus Christ in a, in a, in that kind of na- in that kind of natural or mm, human produced disaster, I would want to be as far away from them as possible, mm-hmm. right? But there are those people, and I'm coming around to to understand that just because you're in a particular position in a particular party in a particular corporation. That yeah, maybe it's silly of me to just just off the cuff dismiss the possibility that you could act like a human being. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I you know I would agree with that. I would also, as a as a footnote, probably say it's not fair to describe George Will as a white supremacist because it's such a powerful and potent label to put on someone mm-hmm. without 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 sort of specifically taking his positions to task on that point. Okay, that's uh, fair. No, that's fair. Uh, I, 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 maybe I should just, I, I mean, I know what I've read of George Will that makes me think so. Um, and I can, I, I, I probably can talk about those things point by point now, but this is not the conversation in which to do that. Right, you're, no, right. you're right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I do have to be careful with that. I do, I, Yes. But well, yeah, I, I mean I think that. I mean I think I think we all in 2018 mm. have to be vigilant of the hysteria that we are surrounded by and mm. we of course it's going to affect us because we're sensitive human beings and you know it affects me as well um but I mean we you know especially you know, those of us that have had the benefits of an extensive education and the time and the leisure to think about and read and talk about shit until three o'clock in the morning over a beer in, you know, Harlem or something like that. Right, like we've done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we have a responsibility, I feel, to be very careful with the way that we talk about other human beings. And I feel like it's a responsibility that is not being exercised very often. I'm not actually including you in that. You're actually very careful the vast majority of the time. Um, And certainly don't slip any more than I do. But Mm. um, but just the... it just it benefits nothing. It does. It doesn't. Uh, you know. It's it's like that. Com- you know. To, to you said. You know. To be more anecdotal, it was a, a conversation. I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I had a pretty like um, moving conversation with my dad. I've told you about this previously. Yeah, about yeah. Um, yeah. My dad grew up in Arkansas. He, yeah. um, he didn't have indoor plumbing for the first several years of his life, um, and you know, grew up with some pretty racist ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like identifiably racist. I don't mean like, like secret undercover racism, no, no, right? I, I mean, right. I'm talking like, you know, and you mean you've met my dad several times and, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and you know, he did real work to, to sort of move past that stuff. Yeah. And he gets, he has gotten very emotional in conversations. If I label an idea or a position racist right. when, uh, and he said to me, it's point blank in a conversation. We need a different word for that. Mm. You know, I mean, this is, you know, my dad, I mean, my dad's bright, but he's not, you know, he sit, I mean, he reads plenty, but he doesn't read the kind of stuff that you and I read. He doesn't right. have the, the, the benefits of reading Zygmunt Bauman or right. Bordeaux or something like that. He, right. but he just, he hears that he lived through the sixties. Right. He knew what 
you know, sort of sheets on the head and burning crosses and beaten and abused and murdered black bodies. Mm. And he hears that word and he goes like, no, we need That's a different me. word. Than, yeah. yeah, we need That's a different word. And, and I, you know, I, I, I'm, we need, I, I'm with that. We need a different word. I'm, you know, it's, uh, if it's, it's just too monochrome a brush for mm. the complexity um, that is sort of, you know, human culture making and, and, uh, uh, significations, right? So I'm. Um, so we should we should wrap this up in a couple of minutes. But I want to yeah, say yeah, yeah, I want to sure. do I want to ask you: Does me using the term white supremacist strike you as as inflammatory as racist? No, I'm taking time because I'm thinking about it. No, I think that racism is a is. Is uh, I'd say white supremacist is like a jab, and like racist is like you know a right hook or something, you know, an uppercut. You know, I think uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think it has the same punch or the same weight. And here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so, and this is where I w- there is probably a conversation that you and I would have mm-hmm. where I would basically agree mm-hmm. that the position and the comportment. And the arsenal that he brings to bear mm-hmm. in his arguments mm-hmm. are steeped in a kind of unconscious whiteness, mm-hmm. right? And in and, and whiteness in like the broadest sort of mm-hmm. theoretical sense that people that haven't sat through a graduate seminar are not really going to come to terms with. That, mm-hmm. that it gets thrown about on Twitter but not really, you know, not really grappled with. So, mm-hmm. of course, I'm going to agree with you. Like, mm-hmm. I, I almost want to say it's like a slam dunk argument. But... No, but but but, but, I, but I take your point that I should be careful about how. I'm, so here's so this harkens back to something else. Now we really need to end, but this harkens back to a thing that we talked about during the anger episode, where I mentioned an artist who mm-hmm. had a problem with me because I had tacked on this essentially this diatribe at the end of my rather careful and loving piece about his work about these other activists who I thought just behaved horribly. Mm-hmm. And his point was that I shouldn't have done that because I didn't give full breath and scope to that argument. I just said it. I just mm-hmm. said it was just an accusation that I just threw out. And it was just sort of, it sort of tarred and feathered them. And I turned around and walked out, or turned on my heel and walked off into the sunset, right? Mm-hmm. And he thought that was irresponsible. So... I'm beginning, I think, to understand how other people hear that. For me, it doesn't Mm. feel like when I talk about George Will, almost like it doesn't feel to me like I need to necessarily justify that. Like, it feels like, oh, that's just years of work behind you. You have years of work of like thinking and working through this stuff. Right, right. And and I've read his columns and I've thought about Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm doing that kind of shorthand, Mm -hmm. right? For the, for the intellectual work that I've already done. But mm. I realize that if I don't, it's like, it's like, <laughs> here's a great anecdote. It's like being <laughs> in high school and taking the test and the direction is to show your work. And mm. if I don't show yeah. my work, yeah. they don't know how I got there. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm starting to understand that. I need to... In cases where I don't even feel like it, or I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I need to show my work. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point to end on. So we basically we agree that Unilever needs to show its work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. How, how did it get how, there? Yeah. How did yeah, it get how, there? Yes. How did how did you come to this decision? Right. Um, yeah. Tell us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate I appreciate that uh, uh, that description of what it is because that yeah. is exactly the issue, right? Exactly. Um, thanks uh, very much for joining us, everyone. Um, Next week, I'll be speaking with Stephen Fullwood and uh, Seth the week after that. So his busy, his busy teaching schedule keeps him from uh, the conversation every week. So we'll miss him. Seth, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Travis. I appreciate it. Yeah, take care.